Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From the glow of St. Paul's number one, welcome to another edition of Cabin Country. Give us the time and we'll take you out of the traffic and away from the levee. Let's find the place where the loons call out among the moonlit waves, where the wind sighs among the Norway pines. Let's get to Cabin Country. Now here's Bjorn Lloydstead, and I'm Fudd Klugman with another Woodland Escape. Well, we would love to welcome you back to Cabin Country. It's, uh... Snowy night here in uh, the Oakdale Studios. It's good to see uh, the return of the glowing number one, St. Paul Fudd. It's back. Uh, We've been promised the return, and uh, sure enough, St. Paul's number one is glowing red uh, on all sides. Looks fine. Looks good, good. Good to see it again, indeed. So we are back, and we're back in business, and things are just as they should be. And with this snow coming... And the snow that kind of created some wacky driving across the greater Twin Cities area today. Seemed like perhaps, Fudd, a nice conversational piece might be cabin country in the winter. Right-o. Like, who actually stays up there during the winter? Exactly, or? exactly. What what can be done when uh, the temperatures go beyond the frost on the window panes? And it's, it's you're in the heart of winter now, and um, cabin country becomes a much, much quieter. And often unplowed in some some areas. I know your place up on the Gull River could be challenging to get to. Yes, indeed. Uh, although we do have a neighbor now who's you know equipped with the plow, so he'll he'll come in a little farther than in years past that we've been able to get into. But uh, yeah, if it's if it's deep snow, we can only get in so far. Then you have to hike it in the last uh, few blocks or whatever. So make sure you got your. Sorrells in and oh yes, big boots do the do the stroll in. I I recall uh, heading up to Cross Lake in the seventies eighties and, and doing the winter visit to make sure everything was still there and locked up tight and left alone. And and uh, they would plow the road that would lead into that neighborhood of cabins, but only to a certain point. And then it became get out with all your gear. And start that long walk. And when you're a kid who's about eight years old, it seems like the snow is up your chin. You're kind of swimming through the snow. And uh, my folks always thought it was cool to put on cross-country skis and then realized there are no trails. We're just kind of sinking in up to our navels with large boards on our feet. So maybe this isn't the greatest idea. But, you know, it kind of leads to that question of what what do you do? Is it it, you're going to leave it? 
the way it is, and you're going to go up for that short visit just to see it, make sure everything's the way it's supposed to be. There's also that other choice that a lot of cabin country people have, where do you apply for a third mortgage, perhaps, and uh, winterize the whole place, make it a winter home. Ah, yes. That has never happened yet with us, uh, or my retired dad yet. Um, actually, he became a snowbird and had a place for a while down in Arizona. And uh, I think my brother would occasionally go up in the winter to check things out or do a little cross-country skiing or whatever. And, and my dad would always voice his uh, concern. Well, if you go up there now, he had a few concerns, like if, you, if, the, if the snow is piled on the roof and you light a fire in there, you know, is the snow going to create these big ice dams and melt down? And, and then there's the whole issue of using the, the amenities, you know. And are you going to clog up or freeze the pipes by flushing the toilet, even with some RV, RV pink uh, antifreeze? So there were always concerns voiced by my dad, and it was all the more funny that he was down in Arizona voicing them. Cactus while. country instead of cabin country. We were feeling the cabin fever in the deep midwinter, like looking forward to when things thaw out. But, Get up there. But sometimes it's fun to go up and, and just check things out. Well, the few times I remember going up as a kid and, and doing a lot of just kind of checking up on the place, yeah, we never stayed overnight. Uh, the, the, the place we had, is, you know, you've heard it many times, small a main room, two bedrooms, a kitchen that was right there in the main room, and a bathroom which was shut down for the winter, full of RV <laughs> and I freeze. And um, so baseboard heaters and a, a Ben Franklin stove. And we wouldn't bother with the stove because we were just going to turn on the electricity and warm up the place with the baseboard stuff. And then, and then after a few hours, it's time to get out of here because it's not going to stay warm enough. Um, and plus, people need to use the bathroom, so let's let's hit the road. But uh, you had to check it out. You wanted to make sure things were okay. My dad always had a big fear of, has it been broken into? Are they oh, going to yes. steal our old gray black and white TV that was now pink? Right. Turn it on and watch watch the hog reports in pink. You know, somebody, <laughs> yeah. somebody's going to want that. All that old, you know, uh, cutlery and, and the dishes that we hadn't floated to the bottom of uh, Cross Lake. So... We were going to do that kind of thing, and then we ended up back in Brainerd staying in a motel. Right, and isn't that funny, too, that it's all secondhand stuff that's up yep. there. Yeah, and so Lawnmowers, chainsaws. But, you know, of course, it boards. didn't matter with my dad. He worked very hard for everything he had. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's it'd be more of a personal violation than a financial loss to have somebody steal those old plastic-handled forks that uh, find them in an antique shop somewhere right. around Pillager. <laughs> Wait a minute. Where did this come from? I know these things. Hey, you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because um, those places and, and that kind of situation. And yet now, you know, we've done a few family things where somebody's gotten some kind of deal at one of the local kind of motels slash hotel kind of things, resorts. And the Cross Lake of 2017 is much different from the Cross Lake of 1977. You know, semi-plowed roads off the main drag and hiking up to your waist to get to the front door, which is two feet under snow, doing all the shoveling. 
And now you go up there and it's everything's open all year round. You know, we're having ice fishing contests, we're having snowmobile races, we're having crashed ice, you know, all these crazy things. And, and uh, the grocery stores open 24 hours a day. Right. And there's gas stations, multi, your choice of several, and the bait stores are open. All the restaurants are still running. So it's just a totally different scene. It's it's uh, it's changed completely. But that kind of led me to you know a discussion I was having with a colleague today at work. Just he has spent years now. If they they've had Christmas at the cabin with their family, they happen to have a place on, in Walker and uh, one of these kind of lake homes, and it's you know on the sewer lines, so they're fine. They always can leave the heat on at a low level, but it's nothing freezes up. Uh, it's insulated. You know, it's a home. It's a home. And uh, this guy was saying, well, what that place you had, didn't you ever consider doing that? It's just, boy, that never crossed our minds. It's just, <laughs> you'd have to add more outside walls, basically, to get insulation in these things. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it, was, it was pretty bare bones. So, that's always kind of kind of surprised me, but at the same time, I guess it's it's kind of what you grow up with. But, uh, yeah, the Cross Lake of, of today is a whole different place, and perhaps Pillager the same. I don't know. I think my dad had notions of eventually living up there and making it a, you know, four-season home. But uh, when we first got the place, you got the property, and you first start by clearing everything out and uh, cutting down a couple of trees and... And it takes a couple of years to do that. And you spend your time in tents. And, uh, well, over the years, you add one more comfort after the other. And I know from personal experience that uh, once you've crossed a certain... You made it to a certain level. We're not yeah, going to rough level it anymore. Yeah, a certain level of That's comfort. Enough of that. Yeah, and so at some point, I think you decided, nah, it doesn't need to be a four-season place. It's uh, I'd rather have, you know, we've got a certain level of comfort... So it remains a uh, you know something that you winterize when it's cold at the end of the fall before things freeze up, and that's a big whole another process there. Do you remember that process at all with your place? You know vaguely, I I do recall some of of the winterization process, and I guess that's kind of where we're headed at this point is is some of those late fall trips going up to to the cabin became a real work detail, and. Suddenly there wasn't, you know, no, we're not taking the boat out. The boat's out of the water. You know, the, it's out of the water. It's it's on a trailer chained and padlocked to a tree in the back, kind of by the shed. Uh, the shed, we're, you know, winterizing the pump so that doesn't freeze solid. We're, you know, doing all these various things. And as a kid, I just kind of stood there going, huh? <laughs> What's this all involved? And I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I did everything I could as a kid to totally avoid any of that work whatsoever. But I know, Fudd, you've been more involved in some of this. So maybe you can kind of walk us through some of the, the wackier steps of winterizing a three-season cabin, because without it, you're going to have a real interesting spring, to say the very least. There is a process that my dad has walked me through over the last few years, and I don't know if I still have it down yet, but essentially... You get the dock out of the water for the season, and then the next step is to disconnect the water from the ca- from the pump. We've got a little pump house. You have to get all the water out of the lines. And my dad's way is pretty 
interesting. He's got this this <laughs> this old Sears uh, wet vac, wet dry from, vac, yeah, wet dry vac, vac from like 1972 or something. Absolutely. So it's it's a metal can. He's rigged that with a, a skinny garden hose held on on the vacuum hose with some black electrical tape, not even duct tape. And uh, the idea is to get to the highest point of the water line in the cabin. Spend 10 minutes just blowing out the lines. Then you have to go out to the pump house and disconnect that. And, uh, you know, it's it, it doesn't take terribly long, uh, but it is like an involved process. And there's just something more fun about uh, getting an old Sears wet-dry vac. Shop vac. Blowing it out. Taping and, uh, it together and <laughs> blasting the air out of the... That's right. Out of the hoses, that's all good. And that's, you know, just one element. I mean, obviously locking everything up and making sure all the shades are drawn and you can't see in and all this kind of stuff. And then just kind of knowing. I mean, there's to some extent, there's there's kind of a almost ritual to it. Almost like, well, it's now we're done. Yes. Now we're walking away. Right. And, you know, there may come a time where we come up for a couple hours. And... It's intermission time. Don, you are fantastic. Thank you for the heads up now. Ladies and gentlemen, a word from our sponsor. The sun is slowly rising. There's frost on the panes. The cackle from a flight of geese can be heard as they rise high above an October lakefront. The leaves have changed to orange and crimson. It's time to brew a pot of Laughing Goose Dark Roast. Mitt's Coffee has offered premium roasts of world-class coffee to the upper Midwest for years. And as cold weather changes the tint of the Northwoods, Mitt's offers you Laughing Goose Blend Dark Roast, a coffee that will shake the cobwebs loose and lift you into your day's events. Laughing Goose is the perfect mix of strength and taste, like the mighty bird that gave it its name. There is no problem or challenge you can't soar over after three or four mugs of Laughing Goose. The strong, rich flavor of a dark roast with the smooth drinkability of a medium blend. Strong, hot, straight from the pot. What more could you ask for on a crisp autumn morning? And of course, Mitt's still offers its full range of coffee blends, including Morning Dove Early Morning Blend for those who need a milder start to the day. Yodeling Loon Espresso, our strongest blend for a potent cup. And Whistling Wood Duck Medium Roast for those who like to keep a full pot on all day long. Laughing Goose is yet another of the flavorful coffees offered by Mitt's House of Fine Roasting. Mitt's Coffee, the brew that flew with the Great Northwest. Welcome back to Cabin Country. I'm Fudd Klugman, here with Bjorn Lloydstad. We were talking about shutting down the cabins for the winter season. Uh, I don't remember making too many trips up in the winter. Um, occasionally my, my dad would, just to check things out, make sure everything was okay with cabin. Uh, how about yourself, Bjorn? Do you have any winter memories in cabin country? A couple different things. I, I had parents that, that very much wanted to become... Uh, True to their Nordic roots, they were going to be cross-country skiers. <laughs> Put on the Norwegian hats, get out there on the boards, and, and cruise around Daggett Lake. And, and it's nice and flat. You just got to watch out for the ice fishing holes with the sticks sticking up through them, so you know where they are and all that kind of stuff. And I, for the life of me, to this day, I don't remember what happened, how it could happen this way, other than the fact that on the edge of a lake, the ice is going to be thinner. Mm. But it was cold, you know right around zero or below and uh we were going to go up there 
probably my mom brought along another crock full of chili. <laughs> the infamous. Here comes uh, more chili. Oh, boy. <laughs> and uh, that, that was going to make its appearance. And uh, Well, we were going to cross-country ski. And we got out there, and everybody was all suited up in their skis. And we did about 10 minutes of cruising across a nice, flat, snow-covered lake. The winds roaring and realized... We can't feel our faces. <laughs> and I, you know, never particularly did enjoy cross-country skiing. I was like, wow, downhill or let's get sleds or something. But this is kind of boring, man. <laughs> right. A lot of work. flat. There's nothing, you know. And God, are you kidding? And the sun's... There's something about a bright, cold winter sun that just you go blind. You know, you're like, I can't see. Oh, yeah. And now I'm losing the feeling in my cheeks. And... Uh, not many minutes had gone by, and certainly not many rods of distance had been covered. We use canoe speak here, but sure enough, the first one out was always my mom. Oh, I'm done. I can't. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Let's go back inside. This is foolish. And so she took off the skis, trudged back to the cabin. My dad and I took off the skis, too. We got the boots back on. Let's walk around a little bit. Let's see what's going on. Investigate some of these ice fishing holes and see what people... You know, have have been doing, and where are they finding luck, and all this kind of stuff. And I, you know, I was probably doing the stupid kid. Looks kind of thin here. I'm gonna jump up and down. <laughs> you know, in snowmobile boots. Remember back in the day, oh, yes. you had those big, thick snowmobile boots with the, the kind of almost like a windbreaker jacket kind of tops, but the the steel shank bottoms and and those big, thick felt liners. Right. And sure enough, I'm sure my dad was just like. This kid has no common <laughs> sense whatsoever. But I'm, hey, look at this, Dad. It's bending. The ice is bending. <laughs> and my left foot went right through the ice. And, oh my! You know, it was shallow. I mean, that's that's the only thing I can think of. Right on the right on the lake edge, thin ice. You know, I don't think my foot went down any more than a foot. It was no big deal. I hit lake bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, was that boot full of water. And trying to get that yeah. up out of the ice and the and the water beneath it and stuck in the mud. And so a nice soggy, sopping wet sock comes up, and I'm doing a war dance on one foot. <laughs> I don't remember what my dad muttered under his breath as he hauled that snowmobile boot out of the water, but then it was, you know, limp your way back up to the cabin through, again, you know, a foot and a half of snow, and up some stairs, because it was, we had a nice drop off to the lake, so it was kind of unique trying to navigate back to that cabin, and then coming in and getting another round of well, now, what did you do, you know, from <laughs> my mom who's sitting in front of the, the baseboard heaters trying to get feeling back in her face? And, uh, oh, I, I went through. <laughs> Guess we'll have to, so, yeah, wringing out a, a nice felt liner and then setting it in front of the the baseboard heater and hoping it wouldn't cause any shorts or anything weird like that. A few hours later, the thing was finally okay enough that I think we wrapped my foot in a bread bag <laughs> stuck it back in the in the boot you know and that was something you did as a kid oh you yeah. got your boots wet well put your feet in bread bags and oh, stick yeah. them in your boots they'll be nice and clammy and cold <laughs> but uh, at least they're not wet yeah and then thumping back to the car and I guess we gotta go home now and then sitting there trying to warm your feet inside a, a Ford Pinto cruising back to <laughs> the Twin Cities but uh, yeah that lives on I noticed after that we weren't really up there much anymore. <laughs> oh. like, well, thank you, son, for creating a, a crisis, and uh, <laughs> that was a challenge, and I don't think we want to do that again. Or they'd leave me at home with an older sister or something and say, well, we're going to go up and check the uh. cab. You don't like this anyway. Like, well, now wait a minute. You know, <laughs> you're still going to stop for food, and there's still 
you know, chuckles at that diner we always stop at. And I, I, mow, I shoveled the driveway however many times. I got my allowance and, you know, things I'm going to miss out on, but, eh, whatever. Was it secretly fun to have your foot go through, or were you sort of like, was sort of like, oh, you wow. You know, it was kind of one of those moments where it was like, whoa. It, it just that sort of shock, laughter of like, well, that wasn't supposed to happen, and then kind of the immediate panic of like, oh, God. <laughs> this is <laughs> ice cold. really cold. And now we got to get my boot back, and now it's soaking wet. I'm not sure where we go from here. Oh, jeez. So it's just kind of one of those silly things, but sure enough, you know, I think we waited long enough until my coffee-guzzling mother was like, well, it's time to go into town. <laughs> Nature's calling. Let's get out of here. And sure enough, yep, time to... And, and again, it was late 70s or mid to late 70s. Cross Lake Minnesota, was there wasn't much open. And people weren't exactly like, yeah, come on into the, the diner here and use the bathroom and then get out. And, no, 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 no. We haven't seen too many people. What do you want? You know? uh, oh, good, we get food. You, know? you realize why this place stays open and the rest of the, the good spots, quote unquote, closed for the season. How much, how much grease can you can you choke down here? But you know, always a bunch of locals sitting there on stools. Uh, know, again, their own. They're in the big sorrel boots and their their uh, winter coats, bomber hats, and kind of looking at you. It was the seventies. A lot of cigarettes blazing and oh yeah, uh, you know, ashtrays and coffee mugs and oh, cabin people, huh? <laughs> Going home soon. Yeah, <laughs> gonna use the bathroom and get out of here. <laughs> yep, <laughs> we know the look. Pretty much sums it up. Uh, enjoy, enjoy whatever that is you're eating. We're gonna go home now. So. But I was always blown away by those people that had the, the winter homes. They're going up there to snowmobile and make a weekend of it or a long week. Some restaurants would have outdoor, like bring your own steak, your own meat. Oh yeah, and uh, oh, yeah. we'd provide the hot, you know kettle of oil that you can throw your steak in and then you can sit at an outdoor table right steak fries I never really understood <laughs> that never never experienced steak fries it, and the dreaded bean feed I never quite got that either like what in the world we're all gonna pay money to sit around and eat beans start the Lloyd yeah oof uh, yeah interesting interesting stuff um that was leading me to something here, Fudd, and by God, I just, I just went brain dead, but uh, I'm trying to remember what that was. Hey, well, that's a great opportunity to take a break and get a word from our sponsors. I see Absolutely. Don. Absolutely. Don wasn't even... Don, you were asleep. You are supposed Don, to send Don, us something. On, Wake up, man. Good I thought it was Lord, about have time. Have some Mitt's coffee. Yeah. Thundermug, it's calling you. Anyway, that's all right, right, we'll be right back. Cabin Country would like to thank you for making the Cabin Country Podcast the number one podcast on GSPN, the Gas Station Podcast Network. If your favorite gas station doesn't play Cabin Country while you are at the pumps filling your tank, please tell them that you want to hear Cabin Country while you gas up. Nothing says gas like Cabin Country. Sleep. Perhaps the most important thing in your life. A good night's sleep is more important than just about anything else. White noise and ambient sounds have become calming and soothing sleep producers for many people in our world. Gentle rainfall, sighing winds, the calm hum of a gas furnace. All of these sounds have value in helping you sleep. Why not find your calming ambient sounds in your favorite place, the wondrous outdoors? 
Drift off to dreamland while listening to the ambient sounds of the Woodland Mystic 2000. The Woodland Mystic generates such soothing sleep sounds as the bedside sleeping Springer, the old TV that has reception problems, the hum of the five-horse outboard, and your friend, the old yellow chainsaw. Nothing helps you succeed in life like a steady sleep cycle, and nothing results in restful slumber like effective ambient sound. The Woodland Mystic 2000 awaits you. Drift off with it tonight. Hey, you better watch your hat and coat. We're back. Thank you, Don. I know guys who'll sing for a sawbuck. We are back in business. And just one quick thing to kind of throw out there that, as a young person, always kind of blew my mind was just... Yet there's a town two miles from the cabin where everybody's water still works. Everybody's staying there year-round. The heat is on. It's staying in their house. It's staying in their place. And I would think to myself, how is it that just right over here on the shore of this lake, everything has to shut down. The pipes are going to crack. You know, it's, it's freezing cold out here. I don't get it. What's going on? Well, it was all part of that winterizing thing that, yep, your your father and mine, Fudd, never really saw as a viable option. It's just, it would be too much work, too much cash. You'd basically have to rebuild the place just to make it winter winter safe. And I will ask, I, I don't know, maybe you know better than I, um, there's year-round spots on the Gull River oh, where, yeah. where your place is at. Now. Are they, too, hooked into septic systems, or is there actual city sewer that they are a part of, and this is a year-round home, and... I think they're all have septic systems along the Gull River. Septic system, and they keep it maintained throughout the winter, and, and there aren't issues. Well, I suppose if you're always there, and the heat is on, the heat is on your pipes don't freeze. So it's all about maintenance. And in the winter, if you leave and say, well, we'll come back in another three weeks, well, what's your cabin going to do in that time? It's like it either has to be running or have a minimal heat, which... I think with my dad's case, it's like, well, it's an unnecessary expense. And right. How right. many times are we going to get up there? Added so. bill that you don't necessarily need when you're not you're not a regular up there. So no, yeah, no it was kind there. of a it's a, a cabin is sort of well. Kind of, I was going to say all or nothing, but see, in the summer you don't have to worry about things freezing. No, not uh, at least. least. This year we had some some pump problem. We'd have to reprime the pump once in a while, but other than that. I mean that things function, things don't freeze and explode and <laughs> right. cease working. Major time-consuming, uncomfortable, and expensive repairs. Now, ice fishing on the Gull River foot was this ever something you attempted? I never did it. In the forty-five years I have been going up there, I don't n- never. It, you know, what I, I guess we are we're blessed here in Minnesota to be the land of ten thousand plus more lakes. Right, plus, 10,000 plus. So no matter where you go, you're not too far from a fishing hole. So being about three hours away uh, in the wintertime from the cabin, but only 20 minutes away from, say, White Bear Lake. Sure. That's, uh, we'd go fishing there, or Bald Eagle, or... Right, right. Well, and we did the same. I will admit, I you know, my dad did love including that cabin and whatever he wanted to do whenever possible, but I don't recall him 
busting out his old hand crank kind of drill style ice auger up a, up on Daggett or you know parking on the shores across or anything like that we if we were gonna ice fish and it did happen a few times when I was a younger person uh, it was White Bear Lake I grew up in White Bear Lake and and the lake was several blocks from my home uh, we lived in a, a rambler not not anywhere near the lake shore but you didn't have to travel far and boy that could be an experience I'm, I'm sure you've got something similar to to bring up on that that note foot well what you remember is just how cold it gets you know oh gosh no matter no matter how you bundle up i mean these days of course even in back then if you have a nice house you can keep relatively warm staying out out of of the wind wind. place to sit but as my dad would always say well i don't care what you say you're you're on the ice and uh it it the cold just sort of creeps up into you at some point, but we we found creative ways to. Uh, well, either we'd sit in the idling car, but then my dad would warn us. Well, you know, you're used to the cold. You get in there and get used to getting all warm and toasty. It's going to be harder to come back out. So, toughen so up, Buttercup. We we had another way of keeping warm. Usually, it was just the hands. Once in yeah. a while, we'd have to hands or feet. Take off the mittens or gloves and uh, get a fish off of the off of the, ho- the hook out of them mouth of a fish and or whatnot so my dad would run the car and we'd put our gloves on and we'd creep on back to the back of the car and put our hands right over the exhaust right pipe. Under the sweet smell of oh yeah so your gloves let would, it exhaust would really stink but oh, oh yeah it felt good you didn't really care Warm about the smell up. but um so yeah the warmth is always a big issue but uh of course you had minimal equipment which usually included you know, you, you reach into your trunk of your car, and you pulled out a five-gallon plastic bucket, bucket filled with, seat. <laughs> with a few jiggle sticks or a or a pop-up, pop-up, uh, pop, whatever you call. Well, the the ice strainer, and of course the uh, the hand auger. Yes. And uh, my dad's was uh, had a black handle and a and a, and a blue, like <laughs> this bright blue little metal cup or a half cup that you would just, I just watch it forever and ever with my dad taking breaks <sighs> and, <laughs> here we go again oh boy don't worry in 20 minutes we'll have a hole here and my brothers and I would just stand and looking at the uh, the exhaust the, the, it looked like a snow cone was being made <laughs> right, over the, you know, right and it was getting a little further down a little further down and a little further down and then he would get down there and the water would soak up through the ice cone ice shavings and and flood that, and then we'd get the Grab ice strainer. The spoon, and, yeah. And so as a kid, it was, of course, it was fun. It was this big production of, like, you have to... And then looking at how thick, you know, a foot, 16, 18 inches of, of ice, ice, maybe. And yes. So, but that reinforced your fear of, like, oh, is the car going to sink in through the ice, Dad? Oh, no, it's plenty thick. Plenty thick, yeah. Don't worry about it. So, uh, but it but, took half an hour to... to <laughs> Put a mark in that ice, and then by that point you're frozen solid. And yeah. Then, now let's sit out here on the flat of the lake, right. in the wind. Turn that on five, a five-gallon pail. Yeah. And it may be 45 minutes before you get in the action. I just. Oh yeah. Boy, I think my dad liked ice fishing, and I think he got really tired of me complaining about ice fishing. <laughs> and there too, you know, it's it's like a much earlier episode. Ice fishing, you know, drop those lures down. And, and make something happen, and all of a sudden you catch one, and you're in. You know, oh, yeah. hey, I got something, you know, that little tiny rod. Yes. And, uh, you know, no pun intended here, but you're hooked, you know. Whereas 
half an hour of grinding away with that, that spoon drill. Oh, yes. And then you're already frozen, and then we're sitting, and there's nothing. And there's nothing. <laughs> I just remember my dad loved this spot, drive out. In fact, he wouldn't. He he was not buying it. You know, foot and a half of ice, whatever. I'm not bringing my car out onto that lake. Mm-hmm. Not going to do it. So we park in the lot and walk out onto the ice. Oh. So you had a good, you know, 300-yard walk out on onto uh, White Bear Lake, and the spot that was easy to access was a swimming beach in the summer. <laughs> and, you know, I always noticed as a kid swimming there and trying to avoid swimmer's itch, hanging out with my pals, and no one's ever fishing here, right. ever. <laughs> yeah. And yet now it's winter, so we're going to... We're going to power our way through this ice and try our hands at fishing in a place where we know <laughs> no one ever catches anything except the cold. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, and he, he, as you can guess, I've always had a gift for getting kind of pessimistic and, oh, come on, <laughs> what is this? And he'd, he'd tire of it. And pretty soon, oh, my hands are kind of frozen too. Let's grab all our stuff here. And you carry this and you carry this and you carry this and I'll carry the rest of this stuff. And then it was the 300-yard oh, yes. trek back, you know, to the car, which was now nice and cold. And right. Get in the, you know, the beauty part there being just seven blocks from here, we're home. Who cares, yeah. You know, whatever. But got to put all this stuff away and walk in. And there's mom. What'd you catch? Nothing. <laughs> oh, you going to do this again soon? No. <laughs> just watching my dad go, well, I might. I'll, I'll <laughs> leave him here. But, uh, yeah, I might go back out. We did, uh, we had some luck, and I do remember... Catching a bunch of crappies and sunfish, and we were using what we call jiggle sticks, where the line was just wound up on a couple of button spools. Yep, I remember those. And uh, we just, you know, you un unspool those, and uh, whenever we caught something, my dad would say, "All right, go walk over there," <laughs> and right. that would, and he would sort of grab the line and sort of help guide the fish up. But as kids, we just walked back, and the fun thing was is. Well, I thought as a kid it was fun to. You'd had this bunch of a pile of fish. First they're flopping, and then the poor things are freezing, frozen solid, <laughs> solid. And uh, so you're out in the freezer, and um, so they wouldn't get uh, they wouldn't get bad, right? But then you'd get home and wait for them to thaw, then have to clean them, scale them, and but no, it was it was. Uh, I think I seem to remember having more fish dinners after ice fishing than summer fishing. Okay. I don't know if that was it. I think there was some kind of rumor, too, that, you know, with cold, cold water, you don't have to worry so much about, you know, some of the parasites that fish might pick up or this, that, or the other thing. You know, you don't have to worry about various things, that or the dog day kind of smell or whatever. Like, whatever. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. It's cold. This is, you know, pristine. It's very clean. It's all good. I, I White Bear was a place where there would be, at least back when I was a kid, villages of fish houses. Oh, I yes. remember sitting there on my bucket looking at these guys going, man, that's got to be nice, you know. But that kind of adds to it then the whole kind of uh, mystique of how long do you leave the ice house out on the lake. Oh, yes. You know, now it's late February. You're starting to get a, an occasional 40-degree day, you know, 45. Oh, it's creeping up to 50. Now, lately, good Lord, I mean, they're talking about possible, you know, there's a thaw. One oh. week, it's going to be, you know, a balmy late January. This could be kind of <laughs> weird. It's becoming kind of the norm, sadly enough. Uh, but, you know, they'd sometimes, like, the local bait shops and stuff would take bets on, 
you know, that house hasn't moved in however long. It's kind of frozen into position. They can't get it out of there. So now they start taking bets on what date is that thing going to go through the ice. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there are any fish houses in the bottom of Oh, I believe there's probably several. And and I got to believe, too, I think the uh, local DNR gets a, gets a good idea of just whose house that is. Oh, yeah. And then you get a little visit with a bill, you know, hey, you uh, you added to uh, the structure of uh, oh, yes. Bald Eagle, or you added to the structure of, you know, Egg Lake or, or White Bear Lake or wherever you're at out in the, wherever, you know, it doesn't matter, uh, Minnetonka, you know, who knows, but. Uh, there could be lots of fishermen who uh, hook into something and wonder, what have I got? Oh, my God. It's Boy, is this heavy. The line breaks and. Right. It wasn't the big one that got away. It was somebody's fish house. Earl's fish did. house has actually <laughs> yeah. snapped your lure and line, and it's all it's all staying home. There he is. I guess it's about that time that we <laughs> hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. You are a hunter, an angler, a friend of the backwoods. Any time spent away from the outdoors is time lost. The work world of 9 to 5 wears you down, makes you feel less effective, makes you feel like it's all falling apart. Forest 420, the elixir that can bring back your outdoor swagger. One two-ounce bottle of Forest 420 will restore personal alertness better than a double shot of espresso. Forest 420 will mask most hunter smells, making you invisible to your prey up in the deer stand or out on the drive hunt. It will improve your posture and make you feel taller, more in control. Forest 420 will return male and female vitality to those with flagging libidos, giving you back your blush of youth. 420 will help you stay odor-free on hot days or high-pressure work days when personal freshness is a sure sign of self-control and command of all situations. It will bring back follicular growth on hairlines that are receding, actually growing new hair where none existed in the past. Forest 420 will actually improve your eyesight, daily use having restored most minor vision issues back to 2020 within one month of use. 420 has been credited with bringing the powers of clairvoyance and clairaudience to some users. Now you know what they're thinking. Forest 420 is also a first-class carburetor cleaner for all engine systems, including most inboard and outboard marine motors. The road to daily success in life is clear, concise, and right in front of you. Forest 420. Wake up and smell the great outdoors today. Some of the ingredients in Forest 420 has been found to cause hyperactivity, bladder control issues, and occasional coma in lab rats in the state of California and province of Manitoba. Ask your doctor if Forest 420 is right for you. Hey, good looking. We'll be back with the Forest 420 for you later. I got a Forest 420, and I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. On a certain evening, he sat in his well-furnished room talking to his two henchmen, Spike and Gabby. Two winters ago, we got a deal on uh, my wife and I, and the kids stayed home with, with Grandma. I think she came over to make sure they were minding their P's and Q's. But my wife and I got to go up to a, uh, a B&B up in, uh, like, Two Harbors, mm-hmm. farther north on, on Lake Superior, and just seeing kind of near the shore lots, like, villages of fish houses, ice houses were out there, some of them quite large, you know, a lot of them up on skis, so oh, you sure. bring the big truck out there and hook it up and just pull the thing off before it right. gets too crazy. But, you know, heaters and the whole bit and yeah. recliners and all this craziness. Shortwave, for all I know, they're contacting alien <laughs> yeah. worlds and lining up the invasion. I have no idea. But uh, 
you know, seeing these things and, and uh, wondering, man, at what point, you know, how soon is too soon? Lake Superior, there's a lot of underwater movement. You know, that ice, it's a huge body of water. Mm-hmm. And you get close to the shore on big lakes like that, and you start getting what they call cathedral ice, where it starts pushing up these big... Oh, Maybe yeah. they don't call it that. I had a buddy who was on, on the shores of Lake Michigan as a younger man. and Yeah, they call it cathedral ice. It looked like looked like big you know church spires of sure. ice going 20 feet up in the air. The underwater currents pushing that ice in. And, uh, and boy, you put an ice house out there, you might find it you know, 15 feet in the air and right. in the parking lot. You know, and when that ice goes, it's going to come crashing down. That always struck me as, as like another added layer. You know, like, okay talk about winterizing a cabin and sinking however many tens of thousands of dollars into making this place year-round you got this big fish house you brought out there you know that's that's kind of a thing too like when are you going to pull that off the ice yeah what do you have to do with that you know and that's another thing to put in back behind on the back lot of the cabin or, or you're in your backyard or whatever maybe you take it apart i don't know but i think my dad had a lot in common with yours as far as well, that's that's an unnecessary kind of thing. No, no, you go out and you do your fishing, and then you come back, and even even the collapsible, you know, like yeah, windbreak, windscreen kind of things. That was too much. Like, right, <laughs> you're either cut out for this kind of thing, or you're just kind of a sissy. And let's be honest here, you know, just sit on the other side of the car and block the wind that way. Right, right. Sit on your bucket, and if you get cold, uh, stamp your feet. Wiggle your toes. Well, you know, my old man was very much a child of the Great Depression. Because he was. Grew mm-hmm. up during the tail end of the Great Depression and a farm kid. And they, you know, he he went out to get the cows with a 12-gauge shotgun. Maybe you added to what was on the table tonight. If, <laughs> you know, pheasants got up, hey, look what I brought home. You know, that kind of thing. Ten kids to feed. Two-bedroom house with no plumbing. I'm still not sure how they did that, you know. Wow. You make do, I guess. But, uh... There, too, you know, Star Lake or Minnewaska freezes over, and we're going to go out and see what we can add to the table, mm-hmm. you know, get the... Uh, I've still got this to this day. Um, common thing I think my grandfather might have used, it was it was like an old... I don't know if they were called tie rods or whatever it was, but uh, it was a piece of an old Model T, and it's, it's cast iron. I mean, it's this bar, and then he brought it into... The, to town to have a blacksmith weld on like a big hand grip on one end and then the other end ended up on the anvil superheated and they pounded it into like a chisel uh-huh. and uh, you know I think today people might call them like a breaker bar or something mm-hmm. but it was I remember my dad saying no that was that was a part of grandpa's one of his old first ever trucks you know oh, really it was, yeah it was, it was part of the axle wow. and um you know, they'd go out there and bust through the ice with that thing. I was like, man, how risky is that? You know, if you get this big piece of cast iron, you're slamming down on the ice. Right. You might all be going in and <laughs> fishing with your teeth. I don't know. Just... I've still got that thing in my garage. I just used it the other day. To... We got that kind of rain that froze into ice. Oh, yes. Storm a couple of weeks ago, and I had a good three, four inch, like, berm of ice at the end of my driveway. Mm-hmm. Come down the driveway, which is clear concrete and all of a sudden oops and thunk thunk and you're yeah. going up over this big thing of ice and the city was putting down all the ice melt and trying to get that to go away and everybody's got one of these yeah and there i am out there probably damaging the street <laughs> 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 breaker bar ah, 
ah, you know, my wife's yelling wow. at me. You're not a kid anymore. Get in the house. The neighbors Careful. think you're nuts. You're going to have a clean exit, though, out of this garage, <laughs> right. by gosh. You're not going to damage the tires. No match for this thing. This breaker bar and my two arms, baby. I'm going to take this thing down. Now, right now, if I wanted to ice fish from my house, it would be a several block walk, but I'd be on the Mississippi River. Uh-huh. And that, to me, looks a little a little waggish. I don't think I want to... I don't want to walk out there. I ran over it the other day, just two days ago. Um, and by running over it, I should say, I was on a bridge going across the oh. from the St. Paul to the Minneapolis side. And uh, You just look down, and it's frozen. I mean, it's... It's mm-hmm. solid ice, but there's open spots. Oh, yeah. You know, two, three football fields wide, maybe 25 feet, or long, I should say, 25 feet wide, mm-hmm. open water. And you can see the cracks where this ice is going to start moving, and it starts piling up on itself. And I'm like, boy, I don't know that I would fish. That's that kind of why I was asking about your, your Gull River experience, because it's not the same size as the mighty Mississippi. But, no. uh, you know, rivers are, are still moving. You know, they don't yeah. freeze several feet thick or even a foot and a half thick sometimes and who knows i think my dad has he's maybe fished a couple of times on on the gull river and uh it does have a lot of bays and everything and i think where we are it, it actually freezes pretty solid so but i haven't experienced it myself right. just out of curiosity what has what has your dad pulled out of the the, the, the cold gull well probably a northern or two perch <laughs> Seems like that's what you get. I don't know. I you know, bass are not exactly yeah I, easy quarry in in the winter months. No, you know, not, I, I, not really. People talk about you know the big fishing contests in the midwinter on like you know Ten Mile Lake or Leech Lake or, or whatever they're doing. You know the big eel pout festival up in Walker and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. People say they're catching walleye. Yeah, I. I don't know. I you know I'm I'm a 50 year old geezer here, Fud. I've never caught a walleye pike in my life, not once. The northerns go on forever. Mm-hmm. You know, rock bass, oh, which yeah. uh, my dear father referred to as a rough fish. Meaning, of course, there was a let's beat a drum solo on the side <laughs> of the boat with this this rock bass. They had the red eyes. You know, oh yeah. Like, oh, you don't eat these rock bass. We don't need them. Throw them back dead. <laughs> um, and the perch, of course, in the in the winter. I don't know if he would have kept him or not. He he was so gun shy on perch. Just, oh, full of worms. I don't know what it is. I just oh these things, worm traps. I wouldn't eat one of those if I had to. They're big in uh, South Dakota. All the Dakotas, they love the perch, and they, they're good size. And... Big fish, relative of the walleye, same family. Yeah, it just depends on I, I guess where you a, pull them out. A familial. Uh, Sort of uh, prejudice we had towards. No, nope, <laughs> yeah. that's not a fish we're going to take. No, sir. They're usually pretty small and wormy, and uh, yeah. So in the, <laughs> that's right. If we caught those ice fishing, they would uh, come out, stay on the ice, and freeze up. And yeah, well, maybe we wouldn't take them with us. Maybe they weren't worms. I don't know, but uh, you know, going back to the old stories, boy, there were four distinct fish my dad was going to walk away from or beat to death and throw to the carp. You know. Well, a carp, but we never caught carp. It really, yeah. They just didn't seem to be where we were. But, boy, the bullhead. Yeah. You know, I know I've covered this before, but whenever, a, as he would put it, a rubber mouth or a smiler came up, that thing was not long for this world. If it really made a meal of your lure, you just cut the leader. We're done. Oh. <laughs> Goodbye. Enjoy. Go away. Um, I never saw one, but he talked about dogfish. 
Uh-huh. I mean, I've seen them in the tanks at the state fair and the DNR. <laughs> well, that's a dogfish. Oh, yeah. and, and my buddy always says, the green fish. They're oh. all green. The whole thing, right? Even the teeth are even green. Just bizarre. Um, eel pout. I was lucky enough never to run into a pout. Um, but he'd tell horror stories of you know, wrapping around your arm and the smell <laughs> and the ugly look and whatever. Again, a freshwater cod. You know, my neighbor who was always, give me those bullheads. I think he'd have taken the pout. Mm. We'd offered it, but uh, and then yeah, the the lowly, the lowly perch. Sadly enough, my my Poor dad perch. was not gonna. No sir, not interested. No thank you. Yeah, of all the throwbacks, the perch was kind of the cutest. I thought as a kid, like uh, well, you know. Oh, but I see the black dots. Yeah, worms in it. I don't know. Parasites. Well, perch, perch, you could get your hand around really. Yeah. You know, and they weren't gonna they weren't gonna raise that that fin and stick you. Yeah. Um, you know, they looked I'm, like bait. You know, they like, did. They did, and and I just remember the first few times trying to get a good sized crappie or sunny off off a line. And you're a kid with small hands, and all of a sudden that fin comes up, and you're getting stuck. Oh yeah, ah, you know. And uh, but he loved him. Boy, he'd stand out there and clean panfish all day long if if you caught him. Yeah, my dad too. And they were good. They were good. We'd That's been. what I hear. My wife keeps telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> when are you going to grow out of this uh, dislike for fish? I just, I'll tell you what, I don't know what it is. Uh, well, I feel like, uh, you know, Second City Television back in the day. Uh, originally out of Canada, but then NBC took them over and, and, and they did this bit with John Candy. Rest in peace. Uh, you know, the Fishing Musician. Oh, yes. Gil something. Or Gil Hodges, I think was the name. Or the Fishing Musician. And he'd always have... Musical guests who'd play a song or three, and then they'd go on a fishing trip. Right. See the sort of TV, sort of fishing show kind of version. And uh, he'd always end it with, uh, boy, uh, I remember one particular, I don't remember who the band was, but then there's so-and-so, the guitar player. Boy, you caught a nice stringer. Nice stringer of walleyes that day. They look so good. I just can't eat them. Something about those. (laughs) I I love to catch them. I just can't eat them. I guess that was kind of me. I don't know. To me, it always... If there was a way a fish could taste fishy, lake fish tasted fishy. Even if that water was darn near frozen solid. It's like, boy, it still tastes like fish to me. Well. What are you going to do? That's all right. What are you going to do? Hand it over to me. I'll, I'll <laughs> eat it. Fudd will take your fish. Fish for Fudd. It's I'll a take, new uh, I'll take the fish. New thing. There will be a radio spot. Anyway, perhaps this is another spot, Fudd, where we'll uh, wake up Don with a prodding stick here. And come on, man, for crying out loud. Is he even back there? I, are you there, Don? Oh, there we go. Well, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and, and offer up some airtime to our sponsors. Enough with freezing your feet and exhaust warming your hands and chin. Anyway, we'll be back. Every week after Cabin Country, why not stick around and put your feet up? Relax a while and let the day's troubles slide away. It's good old Lloyd. Bye, but it's good to be back with you again this week. I'm Lloyd. Water was starting to cool off in Baxter this week. Seemed like a great time to get the outboard drained and winterize before the snow flies. You know, when it's time to pull the pleasure craft out of the water, it's usually time to get the duck boat back in the lake. I remember those early morning mallard hunting trips with my uncles. 
What is going on? Billy and Johnny's Yuletide Orchestra, ladies and gentlemen. Well, it wasn't finished yet. It's a I said no to this Yaha music. It fills my heart with warmth to think about those past Thanksgivings when we set the table for the family and friends up at the cabin. Oh, now what? Ladies and gentlemen, it would appear we have a fire alarm. Oh, that's just great. Uh, make your ways quickly to the fire exits, please. Thank you. Gramps said he had a fire up at the shack once. He was cooking a pound of bacon. Boy, get off the stage! Oh, okay, all right. That's Lloyd. Good old Lloyd. All right, we're back, and it's time for the Schmidt Scenic Moment, where we dig deep into Bjorn's collection of 24 Schmidt Scenic beer cans. So let's see what uh, let's see what he brings out. I'll go ahead and do some digging here, bud, and see what we can come up with. I should say these are pretty vintage cans. These are coming from the 70s, ladies and gentlemen. That's an impressive collection. There we go. My goodness. The denizen of the far north. I'm told by many you don't really see too many of these unless you're up around Ely or even farther north. But The largest of the deer family here in Minnesota. Fudd? The moose, the bull moose. The mighty bull moose. He's uh, looking over the handiwork of a logging camp. Cut down a bunch of trees. Here come the Clydesdales pulling the sledge. Guy riding behind pulling uh, pulling logs. Guys working a big double-handed buck saw on a log. and Standing there on the edge, staring at him. Wondering, what in the heck are you doing to my forest? <laughs> the bull moose probably thinking to himself, man, why don't I get my... Who's on a few cans of Schmidt Scenic right now because I think my home is slowly disappearing. Ah, being chopped down. Being cut down by those clowns over there in the flannel shirts and the and the Fudd, uh, Elmer Fudd caps. So, Yes, indeed. I've never seen a moose in Minnesota, but I've seen them in Canada. I was on a Canada trip fishing uh, a fly-in, and uh, we were on a lake... I guess the only size I can compare it to is, I don't know, it was a huge lake, and it was midway up uh, Ontario province, and uh, like I said, they flew you in, and you stayed in a cabin for three, four days, uh, two boats, cabin, no electricity, um, I may have told this tale at one point, I thought it was odd that there was an old refrigerator in this cabin, given the fact that there didn't seem to be any electricity, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure while it was yeah. a refrigerator, <laughs> and they, they packed you out every flight with all kinds of pounds of lard. Oh, yes, I, I remember you mentioning it. I don't recall if this was ever mentioned on a, on a cabin yeah, I, country or not, but, yeah, all this lard and then the idea being, of course, you're going to catch all these fish and you got to fry them. Oh, yeah. And perhaps some, some clean Snow White. In fact, I think the brand might have even been Snowcap Lard. And uh, let's just say with the number of fish we caught, we ended up leaving the lard behind. We added it. You opened that fridge, and there were about 70 of these pounds of lard in there that people were just leaving as like a gag gift or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> I didn't dare want to open one because Lord knows how long they'd been there and what it would have smelled like. But uh, we added our lard Yikes. to their take and said, you can, you can enjoy this. But, uh, yeah, we took off one morning, a couple different sightings, uh, a large cow moose 
standing there. And uh, the old gent who was with us fishing, who'd, who'd done several trips into Canada, said, well, I'm glad we're in a boat. It's about 50 yards away from us because if it's a cow, this time of year, it was probably mid-June. So there's probably a, a fairly well-established calf or two somewhere mm-hmm. near this cow at this point. And if we got too close to that that cow moose, uh, there's a real good chance she'd charge the boat. And uh, if she did, good Lord. she's going to knock us into the drink. And uh, <laughs> an interesting place, man. Both boats leaked and one motor didn't work. So we were using the one boat that had a real slow leak with a functioning five-horse oh, my motor. God. And I, I think if a moose decided to come at us full, full tilt, that five-horse wasn't going to do us justice. But uh, <laughs> it liked to stay near the cabin. The cabin was built right near a small, real gentle waterfall. And there were like three different spots on this lake and you could access by moving the boats but there was always a waterfall and it was huge it was a huge lake and bald eagles everywhere we even saw timber wolves up there it was interesting i mean as a budding naturalist it was a very cool trip as a fisherman it was kind of a waste of time but uh they complained i didn't care i was just like wow i've never seen a moose before i've never seen wolves before never seen bald eagles before and and lake as far as i can see Huge trees, and nobody. I mean, just nobody. And then you know, you start thinking, well, I suppose if somebody really gets hurt up here, this could be kind of a <laughs> kind of a nightmarish kind of deal. But that's not what you're thinking at the time. You're just like, wow, what else can you see? So it was really, really interesting. I that's many amazing. things for a 13 year old kid to do that he'd never done before. So I seem to remember you saying the uh, the, the build up by your dad and this. Uh, Old old timer who uh, yep. were looking forward to the great fishing. Oh yeah, and your dad was going to impress upon you the the great fishing that can be done in Canada. And uh, they were disappointed, but it sounds like you had. Plenty At the end of, of the discovery. day, I didn't mind. I enjoyed the trip. I I will say that uh, yeah, the stories I had heard for years leading up to this trip, and you know, they're basically jumping into the boat, and they're, yeah. they're huge. And you're you know, you're going to need some help taking these things off the line, and we might have to clip the. the hooks because man these things are big fish they're going to be fighting and like one every minute we're going to get into schools it's going to be crazy and my goodness gracious we got up there and (laughs) the action was about as active as it was on the lake surface you know it was like man there's nobody out here and there's nothing under the water either (laughs) it's just nothing there was a day where we we kind of caught into a school of walleye and it was the first walleye i'd ever caught and i i don't know if you're i know we refer to small northern pike as hammer handles. Mm-hmm. Well, these walleyes were hammer handles. They uh-huh. were not big, and every one I caught, my dad caught, and my neighbor caught, and they were just small, tiny little fish. But we had a good half hour there, like every other cast, you're getting something and taking it off and throwing it back. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, there were really no fish eaten while we were there, and there was nothing brought back in a cooler. I still remember the, the pilot coming back to get us, and, wow, the cooler seems a little light. I was like, yeah, we didn't catch anything. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, well, anyway, <laughs> other than that, how was the trip? <laughs> Plenty of lard. Yeah, boy, did we have lard to leave behind, so uh, there is that. I'll go ahead and say, uh, Fudd, that, well, we caught, you know, 70 pounds of lard, most of it rancid. Mouth-watering. <laughs> uh, bald eagles circling the lake, you know, miles and miles of open water, nobody, nobody to be seen, the cabin built right on... Some small waterfalls, you know, gentle 
kind of waterfalls that, that were quite wild. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. And to see wolves in the wild, to be 50 feet from a, a moose, you know, an adult moose. Sure, we caught a lot of lard and nothing else, but... <laughs> Still an amazing trip. An amazing trip and, and worth worth the time. I wouldn't have changed it other than maybe catching some fish. But uh, Well, it, it yeah, the, the, the small waterfall uh, that you were talking about that... I remember when we went with Buck Fielding. Buck Fielding, Up yeah. to High Wind Lake, and uh, we also saw some of those. It's just amazing. The waterfalls that kind of go from one lake through the woods into another lake. And, right. Oh, it's just right. amazing. You just, it's oh, not, some, not something we see around here all that often. So Not so much. And the thrill of, I'm thirsty. Okay, dip your cup over the, over the boat. <laughs> That's incredible. And to this day, I'm sure I have a parasite. <laughs> probably not. It was clean. It was interesting. It was, it was cool. It was a good trip. Wonderful time shared with uh, and was this the same uh, the the uh, friend of your dad's? Did you get your tackle boxes from this? This man? was the same gentleman. Oh, yes, right. a sixteen gauge, a twenty two long rifle, multiple multiple rods, and and two if not three tackle boxes full of vintage gear. Oh my gosh! Which may be making an appearance before all that long. That's right. There's talk, folks. Uh, there's talk of uh, doing a live uh, video. Uh, bro- well, I guess maybe not live, but it's it'll be a video recording. Video cabin country of a of a of a podcast where we go through these these treasure boxes of Bjorns. That's right. Yesteryear. I can't wait. I yesteryear the Hawaiian Wigglers, the, <laughs> the Argonauts. That's it's something else. You know, I think I'm gonna dig out the old ten gallon fish tank that my kids got sick of, and we'll fill it with water. We'll check the action. On there we go. There we made. go. You know the way. Uh, who was it? Uh, who, who used to do that? The dip the. Here, yeah, we went and we just jigged it off the bottom like this. Uh, wasn't that uh, Virgil Ward? He could have been. Show how he could have uh, been. Yeah, we just like to cast, let it sink to the bottom. Wonderful then, Saturday afternoon television. Oh, I loved it. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, is that it for this? Edition of Cabin Country, the Schmitzina Collection. I believe that will bring this to a close. The bull moose, the lard. (laughs) Lots and lots of lard. Lots and lots of lard. And ironically enough, that sort of brings us to kind of a monumental moment here, Fudd. uh, That's right. The mighty year-long labor of love that we've called Cabin Country. This is officially the end of season one. That's right. This uh, coffee pot is finally empty. Yes, it's time to maybe, you know, clean the clean the filter of the coffee pot. Uh, clean start the coffee a new one. one. Here we go. Get the pot refilled. And uh, what uh, what are we thinking about for future podcasts ideas here? Well, we've got. A, I, I believe we're going to be plumbing the depths of a couple of authors' minds. If I'm not oh, mistaken, yes. correct? Tell us about that. That's you, right. Uh, Mark Diedrich from Rochester. He's gonna visit us and give us a little, little history about um, the Dakota history of cabin country. Yeah. Before it was cabin country. Before it was cabin country. Wigwam and teepee country with there the Dakota go. and the Ojibwe. Of course, we've seen many markers uh, in cabin country of where battles took place. Correct. Don't you have one near Correct. where right, your cabin right was? Right near on the Cross Lake Whitefish Chain, there was. At the far end of uh, what we called Moonlight Bay, there's a marker put up by the State Historical uh-huh. Society of a battle site on the on the ice, Moonlight Bay between the Ojibwe and the Dakota, without a doubt. 
We've also reached out to uh, author Mike Lean, who has uh, a couple of recently published books. Um, I think he started out as a blog writer and, uh, and has published these blogs. And I'll tell you, it's, it's just perfectly suited to cabin country. It's all about everything. Lawnmowers that don't work or, you know, life out on the dock, um, hunting Re- and fishing. the outboard motors. Oh, yes. All that. Crazy uh, fishing trips. He sampled a show and said, uh, yep, straight from right out of my book. So we'll have a visit from him. And Sounds good. Also, uh, a big part of cabin country for many years was resorts. Resorts. Um, and uh, so we got an author in that situation, that's right. too, do we not? That's right. His name is Ren Holland, a retired art teacher, I think it was. Uh, uh, but he's compiled and edited a huge volume of uh, all the resorts he could he could research and you know back heights, back in the day the heights of minnesota resorts and cabin country reached its peak in around 19 in the 50s i think where there were nearly 4000 and sadly i think there are maybe uh, i don't even know just a, a few hundred, hundred. Left, yeah. yeah that's what i heard uh, recently so, on another another venue was that the family resort the family owned resort has become kind of a thing of a dwindling number Yep, people but still out there can be found. It can can be found. So yeah, we got a lot to look forward to. Possibly some some old Klugman family history. The, oh, that's uh, right. With the the gentleman who built the uh, the original oh, right. shack, the original the shack. That's right, my uncle Gold Joe. River. I uh, had a special recording of of my dad and my uncle Joe, and even my cousin Doug, uh, all. Reminiscing about the early days of the of the shack on the Gull River, back when there was nothing allowed but hunting shacks and and a resort across the yeah river. and a resort right across the way and uh, as, as as he called it, my uncle Joe said they every weekend they 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 played the oompa music, so um, <laughs> that'll be fun to revisit Boot and stomping music from. Yeah, <laughs> Baxter Pillager area, absolutely. May plumb the depths too of uh, the nature walk scene, which uh, has been something I've done on an annual basis with uh, adult groups up in the Ely area. Uh huh. What's out there? You know, of course, to native Minnesota, everything's got a reason, everything's got a purpose and a use, mm-hmm. and it's easy to lose sight of some of that stuff. And uh, it's still out there, and it's still got its purposes, and it's still got you know the plants still have their uses, so they're there. Right. They're a lot of them edible, a lot of them poisonous, <laughs> interestingly yes. enough, and yes. more more on that later. And if it's got a fairly cryptic feel, well, you'll just have to wait. Yes. So we're hoping you'll join us again and that you've liked what you've heard so far, and we look forward to having you all join us on Season 2 of Cabin Country. New topics, new ideas. Don't want to go before thanking Don for his uh, magic. Thank you, Don. And mixing all the odd sounds to help our stories come to life a little. And odd hits the name. <laughs> hits the nail right on the head there. Sorry. That's right. Thought of that. So when the screen door opens again, it'll be the second season, and we'll keep a spot ready for you and a cup with your name on it. We'll see you season two. Thank you. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.